Welcome back to another Cardinals off day. I am Ben Godar. With me, as always, my good friend Ben Humphrey. We have now officially made it through the trade deadline. Uh, we know all of the deals the Cardinals have done, at least um, by the uh, sort of official uh, trade deadline. Uh, ben, uh, uh, how you doing? What are you, what are you thinking? Uh, you know, I'm doing pretty well. I'm a little bummed out because each Adam Wainwright start just seems to be getting worse and worse. And <laughs> I was hoping he would get to 200. And uh, this week, uh, you know, I have kind of come to the conclusion that this very well may not happen. Like yeah. it could just be a very sad final tour of ineffectiveness for right. Adam Wainwright. And it really bums me out. Yeah. It's reminding me of, I'm pretty sure it was an effectively wild segment. Um, you know, they'll, they'll often take listener questions and they'll just take on these just really absurd. What if questions. And I believe there was one they did, you know, what could, uh, you just, or any of us, just an ordinary person, if we were given a, a full season of major league plate appearances, get even one hit was basically like the question. And so, you know, that's sort of what it came down. So basically, you know, you've got, 600 plate appearances that you're up there just swinging at air essentially you know <laughs> like could yes, you yes. could, could, you know like just w w would your bat happen to make contact with the ball and put it in play and get it you know anyway that was a question they kind of dealt with there because it's one of those you know what a you know uh you know million monkeys typing for a million years you know right hamlet type questions right uh I'm beginning to kind of feel that way with Adam Wainwright getting to 200 wins. Like, like it, it will happen. If, like, given enough starts, it will happen eventually. But I don't know if that would be this season. I don't know if that would take 200 years. I don't know exactly <laughs> at what point it would happen. But it's not. It's 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 definitely not enjoyable watching it. So uh, I guess that's sort of one thing we both said we already learned. But Ben, uh, uh, what else have you learned? Um, I have learned, or I think that I, um, maybe relearned or affirmed or maybe even learn is the wrong word, but had it made crystal clear to me. Um, and it's something that we have talked about and to your credit, Ben, you've been on it, um, longer than me and, and for years now. Um, but that the, the Cardinals have done just a really bad job uh, in recent years of drafting and developing pitching. And this became clear to me, um, or I had the epiphany, I guess, when I think it was MLB Pipeline updated the Cardinals' top 30 <laughs> prospects, you know? Yeah. And like everyone else, I'm, I'm sure... Uh, I'm like everyone else. I, you know, I was reading a, a bunch of write-ups from prospect experts on the, the pitchers and the players the Cardinals got back in these deadline deals. And, you know, we talked about this last episode. The return is largely in line with what we thought, where it's these are players who are rentals for two months, maybe three if you're lucky, and, you know, you make a run all the way to the World Series with these players. Um, but you're really only trading for that player you know, for those two months and then hoping they help you in October. Right. Like, right, so, right. so they're not going to get like blue chip prospects. And I, right. I don't think they got 
you know, Roby is, is maybe a blue chip prospect, but he's, you know, he's damaged goods. He's right. been injured, you know, right. and, uh, you know, everyone else, not to say that they are bad, but just that they're not, you know, these are not cream of the crop, blue chip, minor league baseball players, right? Like they're, right. they're, they're good, but they're not upper echelon, right? And MLB Pipeline updated their list and like plugged in almost every player they traded, you know, like into that list and, and multiple of them in the top 10. And it, I, it, it hit me that sure Jordan Walker has graduated and Mason Wynn is probably going to graduate from prospect lists. Maybe not this year because it sounds like the Cardinals are going to keep him down in the minors. So he's rookie of the year eligible next year, but he's going to graduate soon. And then you have Tink Hens, right? But, mm-hmm. but other than those big three from the 2020 draft, you know, there's not a lot uh, on the, on the top prospect list for the Cardinals that is very, uh, very impressive, uh, certainly from a pitching perspective. And it, it caused me, I, I think Randy Flores has been riding kind of a wave of good coverage in particular because of the 2020 draft, which was exceptional, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at his whole tenure, Ben, uh, they're kind of in the position they are now because they did a bad job drafting and developing pitching and, and then helping that pitching grow once they reached the majors, which is not really a Flores problem, but, and so all of this is to say, I'm not trying to be overly negative, but I think that we need to take a more perhaps balanced approach at the Cardinals drafting and development process. And I think that we really need to, you know, kind of look at, they are where they are right now and they had to go trade these guys and get pitching filler, like, Mm -hmm upper upper level filler right like right. primarily primarily in the high minors right. uh, because they've done a bad job of drafting and developing pitching and uh and those chickens finally came home to roost in part because adam wainwright hasn't been able to get the job done this year and some of their other pitchers haven't either so yeah. that, that's what i've had kind of maybe not learned but had cast in very stark relief for me yeah uh, over the trade deadline yeah, well, and I would just um, just to kind of add on to that, I think that word you used filler, and I don't know if that's the exact word that anyone in the organization has used, but you've certainly heard it kind of framed, I think, in that sort of way by folks in, within the organization and maybe other kind of media types. And, and you know, that's a thing that happens where uh, whether it's injuries or just you have a draft class that doesn't develop the way you expected or a trade depletes you at a certain level you can have a, just a kind of a band of your development pipeline that is uh, is thin and you have to go kind of like fill in there. So that definitely like that happens. And I feel like I've heard people talk about that as if that's what's happening here, but there's nothing below that and there's nothing above that. <laughs> so like, <laughs> that's not what's happening here. They just don't have, uh, you know, they, they, again, they don't have quality pitching. They don't have pitchers with stuff. It's not something they have at the major league level. It's not something they've been pursuing um, in draft classes. It's not something they've been developing. It's just completely absent. So these guys aren't filling in a, a missing band. They're really kind of starting from zero there um 
And Ben, you know, um, in terms of what I learned, um, somewhat similarly, just thinking a little bit, I guess, about sort of value and what we learned. I thought it was interesting. I'm going to kind of step outside of Cardinals land for a minute. I thought one of the most interesting things from this trade deadline was what the the Mets did with Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, um, because essentially those were not trades, right? They went out and they bought prospects is what they did. (laughs) You know, they took two pitchers who were making $43 million a year, and they handed off those contracts to uh, teams that were willing to take on those enormous contracts. And then they paid a significant portion of those in order to buy prospects at a, at a high level. And so, you know, they, they picked up the, uh, uh, was it Luis Angel Acuna, Ronald Acuna's brother. And then I believe Drew Gilbert was the, the highest prospect they picked up from uh, in the, the deal with the Astros. So, you know, I think they spent a total of $88 million on five minor league players. And that's, of course, skewed very heavily towards a few really top end guys they got. You know, they got, you know, I think two uh, kind of consensus, like top 100 guys and, you know, three like very, very good guys. Uh, but I just thought it's such an interesting data point for us. You know, people are always trying to calculate what are the what's the market value of prospects, right? Because these people, these, these players, there is no open market for them. It's not like free agency where we can really see that. We have like when they're drafted, there's these draft pools, like it's a completely manipulated market. This felt like a very uh, interesting, like, uh, you know, test case to really kind of actually let us see maybe what is the market value for some of these prospects. And I think for all of us who sometimes maybe go into a trade deadline with the hope that somebody like a Jordan Montgomery is going to net us a top 50 prospect, it's a good reminder that this is why that's often unlikely to happen, or it's a challenge for something like that when you see uh, you know, these guys in, in dollar terms, you know, can be worth, you know, 25, 30 million dollars, you know, basically is what, uh, you know, Steve Cohen essentially uh, was was paying out just in cash to sign, um, you know, some of these guys. So uh, anyway, I thought that was a really interesting uh, thing and obviously a, kind of a, an unusual tactic. But of course, Steve Cohen's a pretty unusual um, owner. Um, but uh, that was something interesting that I learned here. Um, yeah, that was that was really wild, Ben, because, you know, you mentioned what the you know, what Scherzer and Verlander are earning like there, you know, how many other players are there even in the league where, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, where right. the owner could be like, I'll pay twenty five million. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. So yeah. it was like <laughs> it was such a unicorn occurrence. I was just like, you know, is there I, I remember just kind of thinking, is there anyone yeah. else in the league where this could even happen? And I don't know if there is. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're right at that. The number is big enough that there's not I mean, there's not many guys who have an annual value that high that you could get into those kind of astronomical numbers that they did. So that's a good point. But but at least structurally, it's it's out there now as a possibility, yeah. you know, and, and, yeah. and it's not like this is, you know, certainly, you know, owners have put cash into deals before to essentially, you know, unload a guy who, you know, maybe was at market value and get a prospect back. So like that part of it's not new, but to see it at this scale and to see it where you really are basically just paying cash for an absolute like top level prospect. I don't think we've ever quite seen it like this before. So that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, So, uh, so moving on now, when we recorded our last episode, it was right before the trade deadline. We anticipated Jack Flaherty and Paul DeYoung were going to move, but those deals had not officially happened yet. 
they have now happened, Ben. Um, uh, thoughts on those those two deals specifically? Um, I I think uh, number one, I'm happy for both of them because they get to go be in a playoff race and be on a good team. And Flaherty and his first start back certainly seemed to be amped up at that opportunity. You know, he was throwing with a, a very good velocity uh, and turned in a really good start against. Paul DeYoung and the Blue Jays of all people. Um, so I, I, I'm happy for them that they have that opportunity. Um, with the uh, trade, I was kind of interested, you know, after Jordan Montgomery um, and then also after Jordan Hicks, I was interested. And in what did you think about the return for Flaherty, Ben? Because I was kind of like, oh, that's pretty meh like and we even talked about how the returns were going to be probably pretty meh um but it definitely you know the the trade just kind of it it felt like flaherty he has not been great but he's been solid and i was hoping they would maybe get someone who appeared to have a little bit more of a higher ceiling in that deal and i i hate to monday morning quarterback it right but i I think maybe I just had my expectations raised too much by the Montgomery and Hicks trades. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly, you know, my socks were not blown off by what they got back in it. Um, but I would say it's still kind of in the universe of what I maybe expected. And like we talked about last time, I think all of these guys that they got back are kind of in that, like, you know, not, you know, the, Nobody they got back was, you know, the top one or two pitching prospects in anybody's organization. So they're all kind of guys that are like have some level of promise, but a lot of, you know, potential issues. So with any of them, it's one of those things where potentially a team who's done really good scouting and, uh, you know, maybe getting back good value. Right. If you know, so if the Cardinals have have chosen wisely perhaps any of these guys, including the guys that got back in the Flaherty deal could be, uh, you know, could be value, but, but I agree just on paper, uh, I would say less impressive, but I guess when I step back and I think about that as much as Flaherty, I think still feels like there is a, a, a chance of more potential there. Um, you're still just talking about the remainder of the season of with him or with Jordan Montgomery. And I think even just in this season, you know, we've seen very good Flaherty. And I think particularly in these last couple months, we've seen more consistently, we've seen good Flaherty, right? But we've seen bad Flaherty this season as well, like quite a bit. And the thing about Montgomery is like, I mean, Montgomery is just kind of tap water, right? Like he's, you know, he, he did, he tends to not go out there and just be like dominant, but he just, he's generally not going to go out there and like lose you the ball game either. And I think for a lot of teams, especially at the trade deadline that are looking for that starter, that's going to like bolster their rotation or fill a hole. Montgomery really feels like the guy that you want, right? <laughs> like we, we want a guy that's not yeah. going to lose us a game. And I, I think I would feel more confident of, of, Montgomery being a guy that's not going to lose me a game than Flaherty not losing me a game. So maybe that's what came into it. You know, um, I guess that's my only, you know, the only reason that I can think that because, yeah, I'm with you. I, I could have seen either one of them potentially 
um, maybe bringing back a higher return. Yeah, and I was uh, with the Flaherty deal. I thought Drew Rom is interesting. Um, you know, his ERA is way higher than his FIP, and with the way Triple mm-hmm. A batters are hitting the ball this season, yeah, uh, you know, it's been a very good season offensively uh, in Triple A. Yeah, and you know, you look, he's got swing and miss stuff. The walks are higher than you like, but you could yeah. see like a decent season or two, yeah. you know, from him as. It's a lefty reliever, right. uh, you know, in, in kind of that vein. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Paul DeYoung, the, the yeah. Paul DeYoung era comes to an end uh, just the way that everyone thought it would. Not, right? not with like a bang, with a but with a whimper. For, yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a trade that brings back uh, a pitcher who's uh, like kind of interesting in, in Matt Svonson. Um, and I tweeted this out and I don't want to belabor the point, but as a, you know, we, we live in a triple a town. And so I, we, we pay some attention to prospects um, and we are by no means experts on them, but my, my general rules about prospects, like if you're over 23 and in a ball, you probably aren't very good or you would be in double a, you know? Yeah. And if you are a, pitcher and you are a relief pitcher in a ball you probably are not very good or you would be a starter and uh Swanson is a relief pitcher who uh was uh 24 years of age in a ball at the trade and then the promptly promoted him to double a which i thought made a lot of sense because he's rule five draft eligible after next season yeah. So this yeah. is someone they're going to be. He's he's kind of an aggressive lottery ticket. Like they're gonna yeah. they're they look at his stuff. They like it. He's got good velocity, and they think it can play. And his trajectory uh, to the forty man and probably to St. Louis is is going to be pretty aggressive. I think so. They can see what they have and either give him that shot or move on. And so, uh, just like everyone thought, someone who has the potential to be a useful big league pitcher in return for Paul DeYoung as opposed to like, say a DFA. Yeah. Well, I, I, will be honest. I was a little more interested to see what Paul DeYoung would bring back because I, you know, he has been pretty good again this year and there's times where he has, you know, I mean, he's a former all-star he's, he has been a good player in his career. And so, um, and again, his, but then you had the weirdness of like, well, he does have this buyout, but then he also has these like club options where if you buy into the performance this year, I could see a team saying, we're going to pick up one of those club options. I, you know, like, I don't know, just, I, I I really felt like, I don't know how a team is going to see him. And I, there was a universe where I, I could almost see a team or teams being more interested in him. Obviously that was not the case. <laughs> and teams, teams apparently, <laughs> teams apparently had watched Paul DeYoung over the last, you know, two, three years and seen those long stretches of just, you know, absolute futility. And so, um, they, you know, the best, uh, they were willing to give up for him was, uh, you know, 24 year old, uh, relief pitcher in their second turn through double a. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't have much else to say, um, about, you know, these guys, I will say one thing I noticed, you know, kind of throughout the guys they picked up, it really seemed like, um, the, uh, all of the, the players, the Cardinals picked up tended to be, you know, 
maybe depressed assets in one way or another. You know, most of the pitchers, they had, uh, you know, a, a FIP that was, you know, much better than an ERA or they had, you know, improved strikeout rate numbers or in the case of Roby, of course, yeah, he's injured right now, but, you know, pretty high prospect pedigree. So I thought that I, I liked the looks of that. It looked like a lot of guys yeah. where it was like, there's a lot of reason to think because with these kind of acquisitions, that's what you want to do is it's like a lot of, a lot of reasons you could think these guys could be better than they kind of are profiling right now um you know and 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 probably many of them most of them even won't be but if even again like we talked about last time if even one or two of them are you're coming out golden and it does seem uh like they did kind of go for you know not quantity over quality uh in a in i don't mean that as a pejorative i mean they got a handful of interesting prospects with potential yeah. as opposed to like zeroing in on like one or two who they feel yeah. they kind of cast a wider net uh, with yeah. the trades so that they have more of an opportunity uh, for them to turn out. And so I, I liked that approach as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I think uh, Mosellock did a pretty good job of backfilling in the minor league pitching depth after the organization has failed, uh, frankly, uh, to fill that in with their own drafting and developing. And so I thought that was a kind of making uh, lemonade out of lemons of the 2023 season, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, um, so speaking of uh, the additions to the rotation, um, uh, I think this kind of segues naturally into our um, next topic we wanted to talk about, which is the the 2024 rotation. And as, as Ben and I talked about last time, um, you know, the Cardinals have made some additions, some pitching additions, kind of high level, high level. Uh, level minor league guys here through these trades and and there's a universe where uh you know some of these guys might compete for say a rotation spot next year but uh we all expect that there's going to be more acquisitions coming you know more, more to come this offseason before 2024 so we wanted to spend some time looking at that today um and we got actually a couple questions and we'll get to more questions later in the show, but a couple questions we got to specifically about that. Uh, Greg Maturin asked, how do you think the team will find three starters for 2024? Um, how do each of you think the team should find three starters? So that's something we can, we can hit on. And Ryan Dowd specifically asked uh, uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Um, so he's even thrown out <laughs> a specific name there. Um, and Ben, one, uh, I think we were already kind of talking about hitting on this topic. And then um, just within the last week, uh, uh, Dane Perry, um, who uh, writes the, the really excellent uh, birdie work uh, substack, um, which I would certainly encourage folks to check out and subscribe to, he wrote a really good post um, kind of breaking down a lot of the just the names that are going to be out there um, this offseason, um, both kind of free agent names, you know, potential trade names, things like that. And um, I really appreciated that, Ben, because that's my like least favorite type of, you know, post to write because it requires lots of like actual research and, you know, <laughs> spreadsheets and numbers and things like that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he did a he did a really, uh, really great job there. And I think you know, kind of laid this out because it's one thing to, um, you know, I think we all have kind of said, obviously there's going to be 
acquisition or acquisitions this off season, right? But yeah. um, to take it to the next level and really say, well, what do we think they actually might do? Or as you know, the one questioner asked, what do you or I think they kind of should do? That's kind of another question. So, um, so let's kind of dive in from there. I don't know where do you want to kind of take it as we start to look at that. Uh, well, let me just. I'll take the second question first uh, uh-huh. because Yamamoto would make me so happy. Um, <laughs> like I, I would be, I would be very pleased if they did that. Uh, I wish. I think it's, it would be surprising if they did that. Um, but uh, we could, you know, we could come up with since Nolan Gorman stole our Gormania T-shirt design, um, we yeah. could maybe come up with like a Y2K shirt where the the two is like a squared and I've all, all sorts oh, of man. possibilities. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and it's, he's, he's fun to watch. Like his highlights yeah. are fun. Like it would, it would just make me insanely happy if that happened, but I, I think it's highly unlikely. So getting into yeah. what I'm going to call a more realistic, uh, area of possibilities. Yeah. Well, well, and Ben, actually, as long as we're hitting on Yamamoto, I just want to throw in there real quick. Um, Cause I'm with you. And I think the reason it's unlikely and we hit on this before I, I did a little checking too, cause I always have to check these Japanese players, the rules, because it, there's just different rules for when they come over, kind of what happens. And so uh, based on my research, which I assume is correct, he is a, he is a guy who would be subject to the posting system and the Cardinals have never acquired a player who they had to pay a posting fee for. So again, the posting system works where the, you know, the Cardinals would be bidding with other teams, MLB teams for him as a free agent. And he, they could sign him for any length of contract, any dollar value, but then they would have to pay his, his team um, in, in the Japanese league a fee, you know, relative to that, um, you know, that uh, contract he was signed at. And again, that's just, that's one of those many avenues that's out there for player acquisition that the Cardinals have just chosen to never pursue. I think they probably look at it as a tax. They just decide that's, yep. that, that's a market we're not going to participate in. Um, obviously they're at a point where they need to just decide to do some things differently. And so it would be great if this is one of those cases where they decided, you know what, like this is a market that's out there. That's just part of the cost of these kind of players. So if it's at a total value that makes sense for us, we're still going to go after it. But for that reason, I'm I'm especially pessimistic that they they would be a team that that signed him. So anyway, throw that in there. But yeah, throw it back over to you. And it's uh, I agree 100%. But that is something where you know to me that one time cost uh, you yeah. know of a posting fee is something that i think is easier to justify than say you know a sixth year at 25 million where that person yeah. is taking up that year of your on your payroll and is on your staff right yeah. or on your roster maybe not on your staff yeah and or i can pay that or you know, some X dollar amount up front Mm -hmm. and have a shorter contract. Like, I, I don't know. I, to me, I, I agree with you. I think it is unlikely that they're going to change their stripes on that approach. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's one, I think it's an easier sell in terms of constructing a roster. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I'm not in the room for those discussions and you hope they would be open to, uh, 
you know, something like that. And especially since they've reportedly increased their scouting presence uh, and um, they have long felt good about their analytics approach to performance uh, in Asia. Mm-hmm. And so you throw in additional scouting there. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if they added a, a starter from Korea or Japan. I would just be surprised if it's one of the high-end ones who would probably yeah. also have a higher posting fee. Exactly. They've, they've always been bargain bin shoppers over there. And to their credit have made some very good acquisitions. You know, Miles Michaelis, of course, probably the, you know, uh, you know, most notable of those, but, but yeah, have not, have not uh, shopped in this particular uh, pool before. All right. So, so moving on, I, I think also working backwards uh, in terms of how they're going to fill the rotation Let's just uh, agree to kind of our premise, what we're going to stipulate to as we as we move forward. Uh, Miles Michaelis will be in the 2024 rotation unless he gets injured before the end of the year. And I think you can write Stephen Madsen with Penn at this yeah. point. Um, <coughs> and so Dr. Thunder will return uh, as a starter. Uh, so we have one right-hander, one left-hander, and three spots to fill. I think that they only actually have two spots to fill. Uh, one reason is Michael Gersh was on uh, the radio and did an interview this week, and they asked him about a shopping list, and he said, well, it's not really a laundry list. It's two starters. <laughs> yeah. And so I think very clearly the team is going to have, you know, one of their classic fifth starter, quote-unquote, competitions, where it's yeah. like Liberator, Thompson, Graceffo, and McGreevy. And, you know, we'll probably be able to figure out by the end of the year who's the front runner uh, in that uh, competition. And so I think they only have two. What do you think, Ben? No, I think so too. And and, and I think you also take you know, whoever of these recent trade candidates floats to the top. So if, you know, if, if Roby is healthy, perhaps him, or, you know, if Roberson or whoever, you know, is, uh, you know, you know, pick another name, right. Um, potentially is in there. And, and the other name possibly is I wouldn't be surprised if Tink Hens gets some starts in early spring training. And I think he could be somebody that they even, if all goes well, you know, they give him that kind of like, Jordan Hicks shot at making the the roster because they know he's got the talent. And so in a, in a shot, in a situation like this, where they know they've got, they're going to fill one of those um, rotation spots internally. I, th- I feel like they might even give him the opportunity to just absolutely, you know, blow them away and, and, you know, seize it for himself. But I do think they, they fill one of those internally. And I don't hate that as a plan, because again, I think part of what they did to themselves this year was they boxed themselves in by, you know, being committed to, you know, Adam Wainwright and just all, you know, uh, all of these guys uh, who ultimately, you know, basically guaranteeing spots to guys who either were free agent signings or were out of options or just in other kind of basically situations where um, they weren't going to move them out of that rotation. And so they were just locked into a subpar you know, five man rotation for, you know, two and a half, three months until they were out of contention. And that's something that boxing themselves in is an excellent point, Ben, because you, there have throughout April and May, there were a lot of people saying, Oh, this was foreseeable. They needed to bolster the rotation and they didn't. Well, 
if I'm a free agent and I want to be a major league starting pitcher mm-hmm. and a team with five major league starting pitchers on guaranteed yeah. contracts approaches yeah. me about signing with them and yeah. a team that has four and an opportunity for me to actually start, yeah. you, you see, wh- yeah. where am I going to go? I'm not going to go to the one with five guaranteed right. contracts in the rotation. I'm going to go right. somewhere else. And so when Mosellock says in interviews, we had other conversations, but we couldn't guarantee the innings. I 100% believe him because yeah. if I'm a, a major league pitcher who wants to be a starter, I'm not going to sign with the Cardinals when they have five veterans on guaranteed contracts filling their rotation. Yeah. The problem that the Cardinals made and how they boxed themselves in, and this is something that I think all of us have kind of maybe tiptoed around because we all like him. And and the problem that, that they had with boxing themselves in is that they signed Adam Wainwright. If they would have boxed themselves in with a better pitcher and actually upgraded, things might have gone a lot differently. And so I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think they're going to box themselves in and add three pitchers uh this year, I think it's only going to be two. And uh, I, it's, it's interesting, Ben, I was kind of thinking about off season, uh, like corollaries. And mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of, I like, a, uh, you know, in heist movies where they call the scams, like weird names, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was like, well, I feel like Mosellock and Gersh might pull a, uh, a Peralta Hayward this off season where, <laughs> where like in November, all of a sudden a trade will just hit. Yeah. And then they're going to go to the winter meetings and just aggressively sign a guy like on day one. You yeah. Know? Like yeah. that, that just really feels like yeah. just a trade out of the blue for like a good starting pitcher where you look at it and it's like, Oh, that's a, you know, and then it had me thinking, well, like well, who is this year's equivalent to Shelby Miller? Who is, you, yeah. you know, kind of going yeah. through some of those trade corollaries as well. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of what I feel like they're going to do. I feel like they're going to yeah. strike quickly. Yeah. And I think they may have laid the groundwork for trades here at the trade deadline. And I, I think they might just go out there and just nail someone right away. I agree. I think they're probably going to um, complete the trade with the Dodgers for Arenado that they laid the groundwork for um, <laughs> at the deadline. That was just too complex a deal to make that a deadline deal, but they all know who they were talking about there. So, um, so they'll, they'll pull that off in November, December, and then um, Cardinals fans will be, you know, butthurt about that through the off season. No, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm a, what's the podcast equivalent of shit posting. That's mostly what I'm doing there, but um also, it wouldn't totally shock me. Um, <laughs> so, um, no, Ben, I think you're. I think you're right. I mean, I think that's certainly possible. And I think in those times you mentioned, like that, when they've moved and moved early, it's been kind of cases like this where you know they've they've been really you know clear about this is what we need. I think you could you could also. Um, uh, I, I, you know, anyway, I just I think there's other. Um, uh, I think there's other. Just case, anyway, other. Uh, instances I can think of that kind of point to that as well. Um, just to get into some specific names, um, you know, and go back to kind of Dane Perry's. So some of the names he threw out on, on the free agent front, you know, Aaron Nola and, and uh, Julio Urias, um, you know, he, he suggests those guys at the top of the market, probably not going to be at that level. The Cardinals are going to, you know, sign, have not typically signed deals at the size those guys are likely to get. I would tend to agree with that. Um, you know, he puts Giolito and Snell at the kind of next level down and feels like that may be a level that the Cardinals go to. 
Um, you know, I'd love to see that. But again, even there, I feel like those are two guys who I think will sign deals above what the Cardinals have done for free agent pitchers who have not pitched in St. Louis before, because I, it's one of those things too, where I think when you, you go back and you, you look at it, it's pretty shocking. Um, you know, again, Matt's, um, and, uh, oh God, who is the, who is the jobber they signed in like the 2000, around 2010? Mike Leak. Mike Leak. Thank you. See, so incredibly forgettable i could not even call him to mind but mats and leak i'm pretty certain are their two highest dollar um free agent pitchers they've ever signed who didn't pitch for the organization and uh i mean that tells you something right and and those guys you know were not i mean and they were always just signed to be basically essentially you know back of the rotation type guys um so that's as high as they've ever been willing to go in the free agent market so again just like we talked about um, they haven't uh, they haven't been willing to pay a posting fee. They haven't been willing to go very high at all on the free agent market. So uh, I think this would be a great time for them to do it. I think going after you know one of these names here as a free agent would make a lot of sense. If they are going to increase payroll, it'll be a bit of a surprise. Um, and then you know on the trade market, the the, the two names that he threw out you know, Dylan Cease and Tyler Glass now. I mean, Dylan Cease is the one that just, I think, is jumping off the page to all of us that, you know, that was, there were some rumors with the Cardinals at the deadline. I just think a lot of things seem like they could potentially make sense there. He seems like um, the type of pitcher who has the kind of the skill set that they are looking towards now, while not being so different from the type of pitcher that the Cardinals have signed in the past, like, I expect them to be in on Dylan Cease until the very end and either acquire him or be like the last team out. And, you know, it's the Chicago White Sox. Yeah. So you you kind of feel like you might not have to give up as much for Dylan Cease as you might have to give up for another young, excellent starting pitcher with three years of control. Yeah. Um, like, because yeah. you just don't really know what that front office is going to do. It, it, oftentimes does things that I don't entirely understand. And so, you know, whether or not that makes them more or less likely to work with Mosellock, I mean, it's, it's something where he seems to be drawn to situations where he feels he uh, is in a strong position as a buyer. Yeah. And I think trading for an established starter from the White Sox would be one of those types of scenarios right. where it's kind of like, the Marlins are selling outfielders. The Diamondbacks are trading expensive veterans. The Rockies are the Rockies. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that, though, for this type of trade and this type of acquisition. Um, and I also think, frankly, Murphy last year, they wound up bowing out, but you know, it's a similar dynamic where the A's are having a fire sale because they're trying to move the team. And he was yeah. there to, figure out what the asking price was going to be. And, and the A's, it turns out, had one that was too rich for the Cardinals' blood at that point in time. So mm -hmm. um, I, I think that Cease would make a lot of sense. Um, and I think and, – and I wanted to make this point is if you go trade for Cease, you know who they need to sign? Like uh, the pitcher who, who makes the most sense is Jordan Montgomery because he's tap water <laughs> who you can count yeah. on for like, you know what I mean? Like Jordan right. Montgomery, I don't, I, he had some comments that made me think maybe he's not, 
the biggest fan of Ali Marmol uh, after games, but it was also, he's a competitor who doesn't want to get pulled out of games. So you never quite know how to take those. Yeah. So I have no idea what his appetite would be, yeah. but I feel like price point and profile, mm-hmm. like, and especially if you're going to have a competition for the fifth starter, and I understand it could push you into three lefties in the rotation, but I wouldn't be surprised if you have to ship out a Liberator or a Graceffo or a mm-hmm. Thompson in a trade for a starter, right? Like, you know, a high minors arm. So like, mm-hmm. I, I understand all of those things. I'm just saying in terms of profile as a starting pitcher, like Montgomery fills in that rotation rather well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I'm not ever one for reading the, the, the tea leaves of comments and attitudes to try to figure out where a player will or will not sign, because I think that, you know, 95% of the time they sign where they get the most money and where they have opportunity. So like, I just think people tie themselves up in knots with like, yeah. Oh, this guy was happy here. This guy wasn't happy here. Oh, this guy's a West Coast guy. He wants to play on the West Coast. And then, oh, oh wait, you know, the Phillies offered him $8 more than the Dodgers did. And, you know, he's got a slightly better chance at playing time there. Guess what? He just bought a house in Philadelphia. So yeah. like, it's yeah. just like, it's the way it goes, folks. And, and as well, it should be like, you know, these guys have short careers, like they need to maximize it. They're on the road all the time anyway. They all, you know, they all live in, you know, Phoenix or Southern Florida anyway. So, um, yeah, the, the way that I always think about these things, Ben, is everything else being equal, I would want to play on the West Coast. Well, they're not equal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the, Yankees exactly. just, the Yankees just offered me 20 million more dollars. So that's yeah. where I'm going. You know, like, yeah, that, that's the way that I always when people are always like, oh, he's a West Coast guy. And I always in my head, I'm like, everything else being equal. He's yeah. a West Coast guy, you know, yeah. like. Yeah. So I'm sure I'm sure Chris Bryant doesn't love playing for the Rockies, but I bet Chris Bryant has a really nice house. Yes. Uh, <laughs> in the southern suburbs of Denver somewhere, probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, or Vegas. Isn't he a Vegas guy? Oh, oh he so, is a Vegas guy, I think. So, but um, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Glasnow, I mentioned, was who's another trade candidate who Dave Perry brought up. Um, I just want to say, for the record, never trade uh, for a pitcher from the Rays. The Rays know secrets about their pitchers that you can never intuit. If the Rays are willing to give up a pitcher, you do not want them. Um, see Liberator, comma Matthew. Um, just don't do it. Don't ever trade for pitching with the Rays. Um, you you cannot win. Just accept that. What well, what what about Henesis Cabrera? <laughs> well, you know. Oh, wait, uh, never mind. Never mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that just that just that just uh, proves your theory. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're just that's that's one I would that's one I would st- stay away from just on just on general principle. So, um, but. Uh, you know, and again, so these are some specific names that I think I think Dane did a really great job of throwing out some of these, uh, you know, specific um, names kind of more at the top of the free agent and trade list. But, um, you know, I think I think the Cardinals will be in the conversation for, you know, a lot of these names. It would be certainly great to see them land somebody kind of near the top here, because, again, with this idea that they probably need to acquire two that's the thing is like if we want to go back to the whole idea of you know you have a number one through number five guy in your rotation right they and when we say they have two starters already they're not they can't go out there looking to acquire a number three and a number four ben they really need to be acquiring you know at least a number two because they what they got ain't good 
Yes. I mean, and I mean, it's, been, it's okay. Uh, My, you know, it's okay, but they need to, they need to be upgrading. They can't be just looking to add more backend guys. Uh, and speaking of, you know, Dr. Thunder might be available. Uh, via uh, trade? <laughs> no, because uh, he can opt out. Stroman, uh, if, oh, if I remember oh, correctly. Yeah. Oh, you, I think you, I thought you said Dr. Thunder. I thought you said Dr. Thunder. Oh, so uh, maybe Dr. I misspoke. Pepper. I'm sorry. Yes, Dr. Dr. Pepper, Pepper might be available. Oh so they could theoretically Dr. do Dr. Pepper and Dr. Thunder. Dr. Pepper and Dr. Thunder oh my gosh. in the same rotation. Maybe even sometimes pitching back to back. What be. if they what if they went with a six man and, and or like piggybacked them sometimes? Oh, it would be amazing. Oh, it would be amazing. But I I mean we've been we've been advocating for this that they need more high end innings in their rotation for yeah. a couple of years now. This year has made that glaringly obvious. Yeah. And they 100% have to address that in the off season. They can't they've they've got to get uh one uh you know, top tier starter at least, yeah. uh, you know, two would be great, but yeah. you know, I, I think if you get a, a legit ACE and you follow that up with a three or four, I mean, it's probably fine, but um, we'll see. Well, and, and I would say going back just to this kind of theme we've been hitting on about what are the moves that the Cardinals do and they don't do, I will say the, you know, the, the cease glass now type move of trading for a player who has multiple years uh, still under contract and then probably working aggressively to try to sign an extension with them as soon as you trade for them. That is one of their most tried and true moves. And so yes. I, I would say of any type of move that I would, if, if I had to wager what they're most likely to do, that's certainly the type of move that they're most comfortable doing. Um, and, you know, they're in a rough spot now, so they certainly may need to venture out of their comfort zone, but moves like that will be what's most in their comfort zone. Yes, definitely. And that's why I think the trade will hit first. I think yeah. they're going to try and make a move uh, before the winter meetings. So then when they are at the winter meetings, yeah. they are able to play it a little bit more cool yeah. and a little bit more measured, a more traditional Cardinals approach, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe they'll have one meeting with a pitcher yeah. and Ollie Marmal will have all of these glowing statements about him. And then we'll know that they've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> well, and, you know, t uh, even last year, I mean, it sounds like that was very much the order of operations with uh, working to try to make the, the Sean Murphy trade happen. And then only when they decided we don't we're, we're not going to be satisfied with the structure of this move to the Contreras free agent yep. signing. So it would make sense to see them kind of follow a similar pattern um, here yep. as well. So. For sure. I agree. All right. So um, I think we uh, before we get to listener questions here, we, we did want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, these uh, jobbers that are left on the roster, Ben. Um, and so as well as some very good players. Uh, but uh, I think we want to talk a little bit about how they will use the roster down the stretch. So any thoughts about how they will use it, how they should use it? Uh, well, let me first start because um, there, there are some leftovers, right? And that's really, I think, the two of the more interesting people. Um, and it's O'Neill and Carlson. And so are you surprised that they did not uh, trade either one of them or both of them away? Um, I'm, uh, well, yes and no. I think they were probably trying to trade one or both of them. And um, earlier on in the season, I thought they were almost certainly going to trade O'Neal. But then I think his injury probably 
drained enough value in what they could get back that I got this sense that's maybe when they pivoted more to trying to trade Carlson. But regardless, I just think that with either one, they couldn't get back what they felt was enough return on them. And so they kind of held on to them. Um, at the same time, I kind of feel like, well, are you really going to get more value for these guys at the end of the season after another year of, you know, them being part-time players in your organization? Um, so yeah, I don't know, but, but I, I agree. They've got to move something out of that outfield. Um, and, and I think we know that, I mean, new bar is obviously, uh, you know, a permanent st fixture starting outfield there. Um, I get the sense that, you know, Jordan Walker is probably, um, in a, a relatively, you know, permanent position, even though he will certainly see a lot of time at DH. Um, uh, Ben, what do you, what do you think? Um, I, I think that uh, down the stretch, they pretty much have to play, you know, Walker every day in right field. And I think, you know, before uh, everyone was healthy, I think I advocated they need to play Dylan Carlson in center field because the season was lost and they need to give him an opportunity at that point in time. But I think now you've got to, you have to look at, um, is Lars Newtbar your primary center fielder? And so yeah. I think that they need to pencil him in as the starting center fielder, you know, as the primary guy there, the regular. Yeah. Um, and then I think that they probably, that leaves O'Neill versus Carlson. And I think O'Neill wins out because they have, you know, they have one year left with O'Neill and he has proven his upside, right? Like he's been yeah. that middle of the order threat a gold glove outfielder. He's done yeah. all the things that you hope maybe Dylan Carlson can one day be, yeah. you know? And so I think the primary outfield moving forward and it pushes Carlson out of the everyday lineup. Um, and yeah. they have DH, as you said, but I think you're going to see Burleson get uh, some of those plate appearances, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you can work Carlson in and, and rotate through. Um, but that's what I really think they need to do is give O'Neill an opportunity to either prove to the Cardinals that they want him to be their left fielder next year or show every other team in baseball what they have in him and, you know, see if maybe they would be willing uh, to trade for him. So that's, yeah. you know, that's kind of what I think that their approach needs to be um, yeah. with the outfield at least. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. I kind of wonder, we, we have this this concept of showcasing a player that you might trade yeah. that's been around for a long time. I wonder how much that's even a thing anymore, you know, especially in the StatCast era, right? Like, I feel like everybody knows what the underlying truth is on these players. Yep. And so yep. I kind of feel like that whole concept of showcasing a guy, in a lot of ways, what we were saying is like, I wonder if we can like bullshit some other team, right? Like we're going to start this guy and make them think that we think this guy is good. But really, I think everybody can see the underlying uh, you know, they can see if there's exit velocity issues, they can see if there's plate discipline issues, they can see the raw defensive metrics, they can kind of see everything. And that's true, whether that guy is is starting every day, or whether that guy is just kind of in there, um, you know, here and there. So I don't know that, because I, because I, on the one hand, if, if you were to tell me that, yeah, they're gonna, you know, give 
O'Neill and or Carlson a lot of time in the outfield to try to showcase them for a trade, like the kind of old school brain of me would be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's what teams do. But in, in this modern day, I'm like, I don't really think that's going to change a team. You know, like I think a team, I think every team can see Dylan Carlson's baseball savant page and see the same thing I see, which which makes me think, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm so low on Dylan Carlson. Like, I don't think Dylan Carlson is is uh you know anything more than a you know backup outfielder and i i wouldn't uh you know i, I see very little value in him and so like i i mean I, I don't know i mean certainly if someone ever wanted to trade for him for more than that i think they should take it i, I don't and i feel like they've given him ample time to develop he's had almost 1500 major league plate appearances you know the again the raw data there the exit velocities the the numbers in the outfield are not good there's this narrative that he's a great defensive outfielder it's really not supported i just don't see it with him so like if, if you can't showcase him for a trade, if that's not really a thing you can do anymore, I feel like don't use him out there and use that time better for guys who you might utilize going forward. So yeah, O'Neal, if you're, if O'Neal's a guy that might play out there and Burleson, you mentioned is a really interesting case as well. I think I saw somebody post the other day, you know, since the all-star break, he's, I think he's like a 140 WRC plus or something like that. I forget that, you know, kind of short time frame and everything, but you know, regardless, I mean, you know, Burleson is, is hitting better here. You know, what do you do with him? I mean, they've been playing him at first base some. Obviously, that's not going to be like a long term thing with him. But like, you know, is can can he hit well enough and his defense be not terrible enough that he is a useful player, you know, that you keep around? I, I don't know. I feel like I, I have more questions that I still want answered about Burleson than I do about Carlson and 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 probably about O'Neill too, because with O'Neill, I think I know I, I just know the issue with O'Neill is can he stay healthy? Right. Yeah, yes. And I think that the, um, you know, the showcasing to the extent it exists anymore is primarily, in my opinion, to establish health. So like yeah, a player true. like O'Neal, who the stat cast, you know, if you look, you know, checking in on a stat cast data throughout the year is kind of like, like what's going on here this yeah. year, because it just, and now he's come back and it's kind of, it's going up, right? Like right, it, there, right. there seems to be a measurable health issue that is no longer there. Right. I, you know, to my, the teams will have more granular analysis and all that than, than what we're doing here at home. But, you know, to your point, yeah, StatCast shows that, but, you know, Tyler O'Neill needs to show that he can stay on the field and be healthy I think for the Cardinals to count on him or another team to count on him. Yeah. And I don't know if the final two and a half months or whatever of the 2023 season is enough to prove that one way or the other. But, um, but I, I think it's going to give everyone a better idea moving forward. And you know what, if he comes, if he plays like, you know, he did a couple years ago for the final two and a half months, I, you know, I could see teams being willing to take a flyer or even the Cardinals saying, yeah, we're going to roll with him because he's a great defensive outfielder in left yeah. field. It's yeah. basically a one-year pillow cushion, yeah. or pillow contract, excuse me, because yeah. it's this last year of arbitration. And we're just going to roll with it because we yep. think the upside here. And if it doesn't work out, we have Alec Burleson and Dylan Carlson. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. And so he might, it might be a situation where, 
Tyler O'Neill has the most value to the St. Louis Cardinals because of how their outfield is constructed and their overall roster is constructed and the nature of his contract status. So, yeah. you know, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Um, let me. Well, and I think one of the more important things in the outfield anyway will be you've got a chance now to, for, to give Jordan Walker two months of games out there to see if he can go from being unplayable to hopefully just maybe like pretty bad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, but because he was, I mean, he was the worst outfielder in baseball the, that first like month or so of the season. I mean, he literally, I mean, the definition of unplayable, they had to send him to the minor leagues because he was costing them so much value with his play out there. It was, you know, impossible to keep him up. Um, you're at a point now where like you can actually give him major league reps in the outfield to, you know, try to do that. And I think, it's been so bad out there, but at the same time, we all see the athleticism. And so there is still this, you know, you can kind of buy into this idea that, well, yeah, maybe with some reps, you know, it can get better enough. And, and certainly if he can play in your outfield, you know, that just frees them up so much from a kind of roster construction standpoint and everything else. So, um, you know, I think that's something they'll definitely be, be doing and should be doing, you know, to utilize this time in these games that just don't matter at all. Um, and I think that, and we have talked about this on past episodes, but I think we're both in agreement. They need to promote Mason Wynn and give him, you know, six weeks yep. as the primary shortstop and see what they have. Because, yep. you know, you want to do that now, and then maybe you are comfortable going into spring training with him as the starting shortstop. Yep. And if you are comfortable with that, his upside is you know, such that, you know, he's a potentially dynamic and difference making player uh, for yeah. the 2024 team. And so I think, you know, with the state of goal winning next year, you need to get as long a look as you can at some of these guys. And I think Mason Wynn is one of those guys you want to get a long look at. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I think what Mason Wynn shows you really helps you determine what you feel like you can do with Tommy Edmond in the off season. You know, if, if, if Mason Wynn is showing you that maybe his, there's some questions about whether his bats ready or just anything about him being ready, I would be much more reluctant to let Tommy Edmond go because while I would still plan to pencil Tommy Edmond in as a utility player, he's a utility player who it w would be a, a fairly high end everyday shortstop if I had to, you know, slot him in as utility players go. Right. So, um, you know, whereas if you move him out and you move down into the like Fermin kind of level of like backup shortstop, yeah. you've, you've really downgraded significantly. So, um, Ben, anything else there? Should we move into uh, listener questions? I think I'm ready to answer some questions. All right. Well, our first question, um, uh, comes from Jersey Druster, and uh, it, it is a trade deadline question, but one that we didn't exactly kind of hit on these names. So he asks, now that there's been time to really settle in and see the trades, who are your three prospects you're going to be interested in seeing develop? Um, you know, the, the top of my list uh, is Roby, and, and that's primarily health because I think he has the highest upside. And, um, you know, he's he's had multiple arm issues, um, but it sounds like he might be able to pitch again this year. So I'm very interested to see if he is able to do that this year and how he then comes back into spring training and, and what 
uh, his 2024 is like. Um, I am also uh, interested in Svansson, and I I didn't want I don't want people to think that I'm saying uh, he is a bad player. I'm just saying there are other prospects who you would anticipate uh, making it to the majors and being uh, a better big leaguer than him based on their pedigree as a ball player. Um, but you look at his stuff, like it, it, it jumps at you. Um, mm-hmm. And then you look at the timeline and it's, it's going to be, a, I think in a, a short one, like he's going to have to sink or swim in the high minors. And so I'm very interested uh, to see how that goes. Um, and then uh, when you look at, you know, the, the two, I'm going to call them like the two Brendan Donovan lights. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that they got uh, for the, the middle infield. Um, I am interested to see uh, how they develop, um, you know, as, as they climb up the org ladder, if, if they turn out to be more Brendan Donovan or more Greg Garcia, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, no, I'm with you. Um, I mean, Roby would be at the top of my list as well. I think he's really the top prospect. I think most people would agree that they got there. Um, and uh, yeah, um, uh, the uh, Sagesi um, would be the, the Brendan Donovan guy that, <laughs> that was probably at the top of my list, but I, I agree. I think that's interesting. And it, it, it really goes to show just, um, just a big shift um, uh, across baseball in terms of how valuable these multi-position guys are. And I think, I, I know I've really had to just shift my understanding of these guys because I used to look at these guys and think, oh, these multi-position guys, that's because they're utility guys. That's because these guys have less value, but that's not how players are developed anymore at all. Um, these guys really, the, these multi-position guys all essentially have more value than than guys that are locked into, um, you know, that are, that are locked into a, a, a particular uh, position do, um, you know, and again, you know, ask, uh, you know, a guy like Moises Gomez about that, right? Ask these guys that don't have any kind of positional flexibility at all. And they'll tell you that, or again, just look at the Dodgers, the team that we always point to, right? The Dodgers are made up entirely of second basemen, right? They've got like <laughs> some big second basemen that hit home runs that they can play at first base. And then they've got some uh, like rangy second basemen that they can put in the outfield. And um, they've got some second basemen with stronger arms that they can move over to third base. Every single player on their team is a second baseman. So um, that's just kind of the way teams are, are going. And the Cardinals have started moving in that direction as well so i say bring on the uh the second basement revolution and this is something that we have advocated for you know having more flexibility and uh we have i think uh also for what two or three years now advocated for more load management where you know having these types of players so that you you aren't requiring these guys to give you 600 plate appearances year in year out and then they're fresher in October, and hopefully that helps you go deeper into October. And so, um, I I think it's it's going to be really interesting to see how many second basemen are on the twenty twenty four opening day and twenty twenty five opening day rosters uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals because they do seem to be following in the Dodgers' footsteps in that way. 
Yeah, and actually, you know, it's interesting. Sorry, I just going to throw in. I, I mentioned the new ball game, Russell Carlton's book that I've been reading, yeah. and yeah. and he really he actually hits on. He has a whole chapter on this, um, and and that's exactly what he hits on with these multi position guys. It's kind of it's and it's it's two things. One is is you know the expansion of bullpens, right, and the more pitchers that are out there. So you know teams can't have uh, you know a backup for every. Uh, position in the way they used to, right? And that's, yeah. I think, part of it that we all know. But the other part that he does hit on is exactly what you just said, this whole load management thing. Because when you look now, you see a lot of guys, it used to be like either you were a starter or a bench player. But there's a lot of guys now that like when um, when someone gets a day of rest, it's not a bench player that comes in. It's another starting player who moves over and plays that position. You know, and we see, of course, Donovan is the guy on the Cardinals right now that we see that happen the most with. But again, if you go to the Dodgers, you see that all over the field. Field. Those guys move, you know, move over, uh, you know, all over the field, and these kind of multi-position guys allow you to to do that. So th those are again two reasons why in three years we'll have only second baseman on every team. Uh, Uncle Frank asks: We're hearing that Flaherty and Hicks hated to leave the Cardinals. What are the chances the Cardinals try to sign them in the offseason? Yeah, and I, I think I kind of hit on this before. I really think it just it it always just comes down to money and opportunity. So, you know, if the Cardinals are, were to offer the most money and the most opportunity, I think it's possible that they could re-sign you know any player who left. You know, with these guys in particular, I think Hicks I would be pretty shocked at just because I don't see them really going out and spending money on relief pitching. You know, nor do I think they should. So, I don't necessarily expect expect that. I mean, Flaherty, I think, is a possibility. He will be one of the pitchers that's out there, you know, in the market. And so, um, I, I honestly, I think, but, but I don't think they'll have any real kind of special class above any other pitcher that's out there in the market. So I think, you know, Flaherty, comma, Jack will be a name on their board along with every other free agent pitcher that's out there. And if the, you know, the dollars and the years that they can get him at, you know, slot in at the best spot for the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals would, you know, would reach out to him. And if they did, I think Jack Flaherty would be open to that. Um, you know, but if another team reached out to him with more dollars and years, I think that's where he would go. Yeah. And I wouldn't blame him at all. Uh, the other factor that plays in that I think makes it uh, maybe more of a possibility than some other free agents is there will be no qualifying offer draft pick uh, penalty attached um so the 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 qualifying offer uh won't be attached and um but I, i'm with you i would be surprised if they're in on hicks uh unless his uh market isn't very good because i just don't yeah. see them paying for relief pitching yeah um, and especially as, uh, as volatile as jordan hicks is like and the the thing about Flaherty that I would add is uh, that they know more about his shoulder than anyone. Yeah, <laughs> and right. so right. I, it wouldn't surprise me if they're just not interested at all um, yeah. because of that, or maybe they would be because they don't see it as a red flag. And so right. it's uh, and then lastly, there's the media angle where. Yeah starting pitching was your issue why are you bringing back the same guys you know that and, and i think and i think that's not even necessarily just a media angle i mean i think that like we just said they're at least one of the guys they signed they need to be looking to improve now if they signed like 
you know, it, it, let's say they traded for a Dylan Cease and then they signed Jack Flaherty or something. I think that would be like a reasonable like one two that you know that they yeah. did right. But even so, I I agree. I think they're they're looking to they're looking to do something different. They're looking for different profiles. They're really just looking for different different bodies. Yeah. So I I think it it feels like this trade deadline was a reset in more ways than one. And I would be surprised just from an optics perspective if if they did that with Flaherty or even Hicks, even though Hicks was good this year, he was very bad early and so bad that uh, quite a few media types were calling for him to be DFA'd. Um, and so that's the other thing is Hicks is a pretty volatile reliever, even for relievers, you know, which is a volatile mm-hmm. position. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a profile, despite his great stuff that would have, uh, an attraction for them in the form of a free agent, you know, when he was on their team and cost controlled, whatever. Yeah. But when you're going out and you're signing him to a guaranteed three-year deal, do you want, do you want to do that with a reliever who has been as volatile as Jordan Hicks? I don't know. I, I I could totally understand them not wanting to be in on that. Right. A hundred percent. Um, so Big Jim asked a question, and, and it's part of this we already touched on, but I think it's worth just maybe hitting on it real quick. Anyway, he says, I think the trade deadline signals a slight shift in pitching philosophy, moving towards higher swing and miss stuff, but still wanting Seth Manus types. But I also see it as building depth for a massive trade in the offseason. Who would you trade and whom would you get? Thanks. Um, you know, we already mentioned um, Cease and Glass now as kind of two names that they might go after. But any other thoughts just in terms of either specific names or just kind of um, – profiles they might go after or just anything else related to what they might do trade-wise that we haven't already hit on? Um, you know, I think that it will be very interesting. And, and the Seth Manus reference, I assume, is kind of the ground ball. You know, they want ground ball pitchers. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, Cease would signal a clear break from that. Uh, So I'm very interested to see how they approach this for this very reason. And this question uh, from Big Jim kind of frames it well, where are they going to just go out and get a really good swing and miss pitcher who's a very good pitcher, regardless of whether he's a fly ball or a ground ball pitcher? Or are they still going to go after that ground, you know, someone with more of a ground ball, batted ball profile as a pitcher? So Mm -hmm. I'm very interested to see. Uh, both on the free agent market and in trade, uh, who how they do that, because I think that is largely unanswered. You know, they've talked about, oh, we want more swing and miss, this, that, and the other. But how are they going to go after, you know, especially with their defense taking a step back, and outfield defense in particular took a, a few steps back. And so are they going to, how are they going to value uh, the batted ball profile that the pitcher induces and i'm very interested to see that um i don't i i think that they're prepared to use these this newfound prospect depth for a trade but i think they're more inclined to use it as organizational depth to have a better net underneath the pitching staff in case someone falls and gets hurt you know like Mm -hmm. so so they so they're hopefully going to do what they've done in the past and that's define up replacement for the st louis cardinals where the sixth seventh eighth starter you know the the relievers that they have to cycle through 
are better than your typical replacement pitcher. And so uh, that's that's what I think they'll probably be inclined to do. Um, but I think it does it does free them up to have that flexibility to make uh, a more expensive trade. Yep. Yep. No, I would I would agree. Dahmers asks, based on their tendencies, it seems like the front office will be looking at cheaper KBO guys for one of the 24 rotation slots. Got any names to look out for? Well, and I, I mean, I have to admit, again, not not something that I pay any attention to. I, I took, so I wouldn't trust me. I, I took kind of a just a quick look to see, you know, are there any kind of names out there? Then I don't see any name, any pitching names, you know, from the KBO that are expected to come over this season um, that jump out to me. And I would also note that the guys that they've typically been been getting both from kind of Korea and Japan, you know, again, it's it's been uh, it's been the bargain bin kind of guys. And so it's been, you know, with kind of with the exception of Michaelis, it's it's well, it's really it's been relief pitchers. It's been swingmen. It's been that kind of profile. And it's been, you know, um, just, uh, you know, um, either if they're not, you know, native Korean Japanese players, they're Americans who went over there and maybe found a little something extra that might come back and have a little more value than we thought they did. But but we're talking kind of like, you know, bumped up from like, uh, you know, they've moved up a couple slots on your bullpen chain, essentially. So I don't see any names and just from the type of guys that are tend, tend to be available in that universe and, and the specifics of what I see and what the Cardinals have done. I wouldn't expect that this is where they're going to find any kind of a significant rotation upgrade for next year. Yeah, I'm with you. I, um, I only pay cursory attention to uh, potential players who are coming over from the KBO. Um, but I, I think they're, they're going to look uh, at pitchers from Japan and from Korea. Um, but I just, I don't, I don't know that there's a name from either place that jumps out at me and profiles as that's a Cardinals pitcher. You know, that's a guy the Cardinals would go get. And the other, the, the real wild card here is the increased scouting presence. Like we don't know what that, how that changes their approach or how that changes how they're valuing people potentially. And so yeah. um, I, and we talked about that a little bit earlier too, and I don't want to belabor the point, but I, I think it'll be uh, pretty interesting to see uh, who, if anyone, they do target uh this off season uh, for the rotation uh, out of Japan or Korea. Yep. Yep. All right. We've got a couple of grab bag questions to kind of wrap things up here. Uh, Yemis Duncan asks lately, we've seen some professional hitting from Mr. Big Burly boy, although he reached pipelines top 100 prospect list. It's easy to compare him to Luke Voigt, Luke and Baker due to his stature. What about Burleson's profile separates him from a quad a player? What do you expect from him going into the near future. And Ben, I'm interested to hear your answer on this. I don't think we've really talked a whole lot about what, what uh, you expect from, uh, from Mr. Burleson. Well, I'm, I'm going to do uh, a quiz, a pop quiz for you, Ben, uh, <laughs> to help explain my answer. Okay. Um, do you know, without looking, 
last year, and I just went back to last year because it was uh, the last season in which he had enough plate appearances uh, on Baseball Savant to get a, an MLB percentile ranking. Um, but do you know what Luke Voigt's whiff percentage was uh, as a percentile ranking in 2022? So this is so this is uh, his percentile ranking among MLB players. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm backing up here. So if you struck out the most, he'd be in the 99th percentile. Am I tracking that correct? Uh, no. This would be uh, this is hitters, so it's uh, so okay. it's bad. So one okay, would okay. be. You're the worst. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. would be your gotcha. like really okay. great at not swinging and missing. Uh, well, I I feel like he kind of struck his way out of the league, so I'm gonna say fourth percentile. It, it was actually first. It was okay. One. Okay, all right. Um, and um, you know, just for uh, also, it's uh, you know, kind of going back through. It, it was still below average when he was good. And Alec sure. Burleson this year is uh, 94th percentile. Like he's, uh, <laughs> he's good. He makes good contact. Yeah. And I, I think that's a big difference. Um, but, you know, the, and so it gives him, if you're someone who makes a lot of contact like that, you're difficult to strike out. You yeah. might be a quad A player, but you are not a bad guy to have on a big league bench late in games. When you're when the other team brings in a guy who's throwing 98 with movement, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. and so especially because that guy's probably going to be right-handed, and so I think, you know, there are some quad A warning signs uh, mm -hmm. for Burley, um, but I think his contact skill is very good, um, and he has he has good uh, batted ball profile for the for the most part you'd probably like to see uh a little bit more uh of a higher uh launch angle um mm -hmm. perhaps yeah. uh, but even that is not it's not bad like it's not terrible and so yeah. i i think uh you know maybe not walking is going to be a problem but i think that contact skill keeps him in the league in a way that a whole lot of uh, quadruple A players um, don't have happen because he's a left-handed bat. And so you can go to him late in games as a pinch hitter, mm -hmm. but then you can also use him as the heavy side of a platoon, um, you know, yeah, to get him at bats against righties. And yeah, um, you know, and just as a comparison point, you know, Luke and Baker's done a, a pretty good job in the minors of not striking out uh, and walking, and in particular this year. So he might be kind of getting into that kind of Alec Burleson formula as well, but Burleson at least can ostensibly play the outfield, I guess. Uh, so, right. Uh, uh, yeah. But I, I think his contact skill is, uh, you know, and his his K percentage is 98. So like he doesn't yeah. strike out. And yes. in this day and age, there's there's value in that. And I think that's what sets him apart. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, 
you know, Burleson is absolutely a, a good hitter. Like he hits the ball well. I think all of the data points in that direction. And if we want to compare him to the, you know, Yepes, Baker, Gomez kind of triumvirate of quad A hitters, um, you know, even just on hitting, all the data suggests that Burleson is the best hitter of that group. Um, I, you know, I think I think with no question. Um, and, and especially when you when you factor age into it as well, you know, too, you know, Baker definitely has had a very good season, even by the data, but he is, uh, you know, older as well. So um, I, for for Burleson, I think it's really going to come down to the position um, issue that we kind of talked about earlier. And just, you know, he doesn't have that much defensive utility or flexibility. He does have a little he does have. Uh, a, a you know above average arm in the outfield so that's that's a bit of a tool but you know otherwise doesn't grade out real great defensively out there so you know is he going to be a you know good enough in an outfield position that you feel you know good about playing him out there if you don't yeah it's interesting what you say about him being a like left-handed bench bat again in the before times that's a hundred percent a guy that's on like every team's roster but we're kind of at a point now where that's less of a role or you know it just it kind of depends on what the the rest of the makeup of your team is you know um and so it's where you wouldn't be surprised to see uh, a guy like Burleson get you know get traded and you know end up being like the starting or platoon first baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates or something like that right but not (laughs) but not necessarily playing for the Cardinals and you know that's where you you see like a a Patrick Wisdom situation kind of happen you know yeah Um, and and so so I think that's TBD so I think he's certainly above that quad a range and you know and he has not been in the majors that long either so I think we can still hold out some you know some some hope and things there but but yeah ab- absolutely some limitations there that um you know to be determined if you can ever overcome them ben without hats asks besides the potential of the coming age of win what's your top reason <laughs> to get excited about 2024 oh man he took one off the list you know i feel like we've been asked this a couple times i think the last one was like a couple shows ago ben and i i think my answer like might have been a uh, Wainwright 200 wins, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I've uh, I've officially uh, officially uh, stricken that from the uh, from the list. Um, gosh, you know, I mean, I don't think there's anything. There's nothing about the results of any of these games that I care about. I'll tell you that. Like, um, uh, I don't even you know, there's days where like I see on Twitter somebody commenting about the goings on of the game. And I've got to like open MLB app up to be like, if it's like a new series started that day, I've got to like remind myself like, oh, oh yeah, they're, I guess they're oh, playing the no. Diamondbacks. Right. No, but this, the, oh, oh, 24, the 24. about 24, not this oh, year. Because I, oh. I 100% agree with you where it's kind of like, oh, who are we playing tonight? Oh, right. Okay. Let's see how they do. Oh, 24. That's a, oh, see, that's much better. I, I, I have a lot of reason to be excited about 24, Ben. Um, uh, you know, I really think that, the Cardinals could be the favorites to win this division in 2024 quite easily. Um, you know, this, uh, you know, this is still, I think, a very good offense. And I think will be uh, a very good offense going into next season. And as bad as their pitching is, I do think it's it's fairly fixable if they make the kind of moves that we've we've talked about them making. You know, I think if they hadn't committed as much to Adam Wainwright as they did for um, some of the reasons that we know that they did. Um, 
as well as just some of these other guys and this kind of doomed philosophy, um, you know, they certainly could have been uh, at least competitive this season. So as bad as this season is, I really don't see them, you know, being that far off from being competitive. So, you know, if they do, let's say they do what Gersh suggests and they go out and they acquire two, you know, legitimate major league starting pitchers to add to that rotation. Um, again, in this National League Central, I think they're absolutely uh, a, a very much a contender to win this division next season. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, looking very much looking forward to to a full season, hopefully, of Mason Wynn. Um, but, you know, I, I think the other things to look forward to are kind of what we had to look forward to and in 2023 and so i feel maybe like i'm like charlie brown and lucy's yeah. gonna pull the football out from me right um but like jordan walker yeah you know what type of player is he gonna evolve into lars newtbar you know mm -hmm. he he still seems to be knocking on the door of kind of you know maybe a an upper level outfielder you know if he can stay healthy which you know is is somewhat concerning and mm -hmm. still a question mark. Um, the The other thing I would say is I'm looking forward to seeing what catcher in 2024 looks like. Um, I yeah. think, you know, this team, the way that they handled Wilson Contreras and the transition from Yadier Molina to a new catcher was so bad uh, mm -hmm. from the top down that I'm genuinely interested to see if and Moselock kind of made the offhand comment of catch would be something they would address in the off season. Um, you know, could this be a situation where they, they are trading, you know, kind of like Dexter Fowler, kind of like Mike Leake, where they're trading a guy away and eating money to get him off the team, uh, which would just be just a stunning act of incompetence. Like, overall yeah. and so i'm interested to see what happens or if you know they're they're going to go in with a better idea of what they want and how to get it you yeah. know and 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 then also not just wilson Contreras. like where what is kisner's role next year what is yvonne herrera's well, you'll have to you ask know. the Kansas City Royals what Kisner's is going to be next year. <laughs> I, I think you're probably right, because uh, it feels to me like Yvonne Herrera should be a 40% catcher. You know, yeah. like like 40% of the games or 35% yeah. of the games should be his, uh, yeah. you know, next year. And so I, I'm very interested to see what happens with catcher next year. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, I would say is, you know, there's really not a lot of, um, I mean, overall, this is a, this is a pretty young team, right? I mean, a lot of those guys you mentioned, you know, Gorman, Walker, Newt Barr, Donovan, these are young players who you kind of expect to keep, you know, keep improving and show us even something more. And the, the veterans you've got, you know, notably Goldschmidt and Arenado are your, your platinum veterans who, both seem to be having the you know most gentle of declines so you know they're guys that like yeah they'll probably be a little bit less good next year than this year but just seem to be having that very you know gentlemanly probably on their way to the hall of fame type decline where they'll still be pretty good too so i don't see a lot of like 
you know, likely collapse looming there too. Like you do some seasons where, you know, well, yeah, we're going into it with this, you know, you know, super old guy who, you know, looks like he could collapse at any second. So a lot of it, I mean, really, it's going to come down to what they do on that pitching side. And it's going to come down to, do they actually deliver on what they've, you know, told us they're going to do. And I mean, that's a big ask because they're really saying, hey, we're going to do something completely different than what we've been doing, you know, forever. So (laughs) we'll see. So with that in mind, Ben, um, and we're not necessarily looking all the way forward to next year, but uh, even in the short term, uh, what are you going to be looking for? Uh, I am going to be looking for uh, Tyler O'Neill's hot streak. Like, is, is it a hot streak? Are we going to have, you know, one of those cratering out valleys? Or is this a healthy guy who's able to capture that magic from a couple years ago uh, down the stretch here uh, and build up some momentum going into next season. I, I really enjoy watching him play when he's operating on all cylinders. Cause he's a bit like a video game created player with the mm-hmm. power and the speed yes. and everything. Um, and so uh, I'm going to be hopefully watching and enjoying uh, more kind of vintage, good Tyler O'Neill uh, here uh, in the games ahead. Nice. Nice. Um, you know, I um, am probably uh, most going to be watching when they call up Mason Wynn, because um, I do expect it's going to happen. And I'm, I'm interested both, of course, because I want to see him come up. I want to see him play um, in the majors. But I'm also really curious because um, there's a lot of speculation, and I think it's probably accurate, that they may be waiting to cross this threshold where he would still be eligible, uh, rookie eligible next year um, and sell eligible for the rookie of the year, which folks may remember um, is n- now meaningful because um, in the latest uh, collective bargaining agreement, um, finishing in, I believe it's the top three of the rookie of the year voting, um, can, uh, having a player that finishes there can actually potentially net the team an additional draft pick. So there, there's actual like financial value to that in a way that a team like the Cardinals, it seems like would would be very interested in. So frankly, if that's the reason that they're, you know, waiting another, you know, couple weeks to bring him up, I kind of think that makes sense because that's a pretty significant um, amount of value to, you know, just go ahead and let Tommy Edmond play shortstop for a couple more weeks. Um, the date, I, I feel like the date I've seen people say is August 19th, I think is a date I've seen. I assume that's correct. It's something like that. You know, there's a formula for rookie eligibility, but it'll be really interesting to see if he comes up you know kind of immediately after that but i'll be interested uh you know whenever uh, whenever he does come up so um ben we didn't talk beforehand about whether or not we had off day recommendations we usually pregame that uh, do you do you have an off day recommendation for folks i do uh it is a an article at the athletic by eno saris and it is what makes a good pitching mound MLB pitchers dish on their favorites. And this is one of my favorite genres of articles because it's just really interesting to get, you know, professional ballplayers perspectives on the different pitchers mounds across the league and which ones they like and which ones they don't. Um, and I just love articles like that. I think it's really interesting and fun. And I think our listeners might enjoy it. 
Very good. Very good. Uh, well, um, you know, my recommendation, we've been talking about it before, but I don't know if we ever officially recommended um, Dane Perry's uh, Birdie Work uh, Substack. Um, but if we haven't, um, it's, it's, a, it's a great read um, for Cardinals fans, so I would strongly recommend folks give that a subscribe. Um, ben, anything else before we uh, wrap it up? Uh, no, I, I think we all agree that it'll be kind of weird, uh, watching like Jack Flaherty and Paul DeYoung and Jordan Hicks and to a lesser extent, Jordan Montgomery in different jerseys down the stretch. But, uh, I think it, it'll also be fun to pull for them as they have a shot at the world series, uh, which is what we all wanted for them this year. We just were hoping it would be with the St. Louis Cardinals. So, uh, it, uh, a little bit, uh, of a distraction from some of the Cardinals games might be watching some of our former Cardinals that we like uh, succeed elsewhere and help other teams win. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Always good to have uh, another reason to watch uh, some different baseball when our team is uh, not uh, not especially worth watching as it is this season. So uh, with that, uh, we're going to wrap things up. Our next off day, it's actually this coming Sunday. There's a Sunday off day, which is just weird and icky and I feel like is somehow still a remnant of that London series. I don't entirely understand why that's <laughs> happening, but it's happening. So, uh, so we will be back with you on that next Cardinal off day. Thank you, as always, to Devon for the music to Dan for social media and uh, we will see you on the next Cardinals off day.